Hello and welcome to Pickleball Therapy, the podcast dedicated to your pickleball improvement. It's the only podcast with you in mind. This is a special episode. This uh, week we're putting out an interview that I was able to conduct with pickleball pro player Dylan Frazier. Dylan Frazier is a fine young man who is a senior student at the University of Missouri, but he's also one of the top pro pickleball players in the world. And I was able to sit down and chat with Dylan for a few minutes about his journey and also about how he approaches the game and from a mental side as well as from a decision-making side. I know it was the types of shots that, that he wants to hit. And I think it's going to be really helpful for you to listen to this podcast. A uh, lot to learn from a player who went from 3.5 pickleball all the way to one of, being one of the top pro players in the sport and does not have a tennis background. So if you don't have a tennis background, you're going to really enjoy hearing from, uh, from Dylan and how he approaches the game. Before we jump into the podcast, a couple of notes. Uh, first of all, if you're new to the podcast and have not heard one of our podcasts before, I highly recommend you check out episode 162. It'll give you a really good sense for what types of podcasts you're going to uh, get here at Pickleball Therapy, and also will help you with your game and your perspective and how you how you approach the game. It's a podcast that's out of the bowl of ice cream, published on October 20th. Check that one out. It'll give you a really good uh, primer, if you will, into uh, Pickleball Therapy. Uh, and at the end of the podcast, uh, at the interview, in, at the end of the interview with Dylan, we talk about the paddle that he currently uses, uh, both for doubles and singles. And it happens to be the same paddle that I use. So if you're interested in checking out more about that paddle, I'll put a link down in the show notes where you can uh, get a Selkirk paddle from our friends over at Selkirk and check out their paddles. Uh, and then, lastly, before we get into it. Last week, uh, we had a special episode where I asked for any phrases that you relate to the podcast. If you still want to get involved with that, please send us any kind of phrase that that jumps out to you from the podcast uh, to give you some idea. Some of the phrases that we got were intentionality, get past four, and pickleball is messy. So those are just three of the ones that uh, you wrote in on. You can send us an email at therapy at betterpickleball.com and let us know. Enjoy my interview with Dylan Frazier. Super happy to have uh, pro player, top pro player, uh, Dylan Frazier with us on the Pickleball Therapy Podcast today. Dylan's taking some time out from his busy schedule. He's still a full-time student in addition to being a professional pickleball player, so he's got a lot going on. Dylan, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks, Tony. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you on here. Uh, Dylan, there are some folks that listen to, who listen to the podcast uh, who may not be familiar with your story. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into pickleball? I know your mom introduced you to it, but just give us a little bit of that story, how you got into pickleball. Yeah, so my mom, like you said, introduced me to the sport. Um, she had actually played while she was attending the University of Missouri, just recreationally for fun. And then uh, we were visiting uh, my grandparents in Florida one year and we were looking for something to do and they suggested that we go to the rec center and play pickleball there so we did and uh i think like a lot of people we fell in love with it right away kind of got the bug you know played one game it was super easy to learn and and you know be decent at right away and and so we had some competitive games with some of the the local florida players there and we we, we were hooked right away so when we came back to missouri uh, we found the Show Me Pickleball Club, and and which is the club based in Columbia, Missouri, where I live, and started playing with them, and then tournaments eventually, and then and 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 now we're here. Awesome, and we're going to get into this a little more in detail as we go through uh, some of your journey. But uh, one of the things that's that sort of sets you apart of some from some of the 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 other batch of pro players is 
you didn't really have a, my understanding is you didn't really have like a tennis background coming into pickleball. You played other sports, right? But not the only racket sport you played was really pickleball with any kind of seriousness, right? Yeah, that's correct. So I played a lot of baseball. Baseball, I'd say, was my was my primary sport. I did a little bit of basketball and football, but it was mostly baseball. And uh, I played tennis recreationally a few times, uh, you know, with my mom and 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 some other people at the at a YMCA, maybe a few times, but never competitively, never like on a on a team. My high school didn't have a tennis team, so I never really got into tennis that much. It was it was all mostly baseball. And I think, you know, the reason that we point that out is, is in part because a lot of, a lot of pickleball players, as you know, I mean, a lot of pickleball players come into pickleball without tennis and then they see tennis players and say, well, how can I compete with that? And it'll tell you, Dylan Frazier's out there battling with tennis players week in and week out at the highest level and is able to not only hold his own, but, but, but win many of the times against him. So that's, that's awesome. Um, let's talk a little bit about your, your your improvement journey, right? Because you've been playing pickleball, but I did my math right, roughly around seven years, you know, starting from rec to where you are now, right? Yep, correct. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, that journey for you in terms of like when you decided to take pickleball more seriously, right? Um, tell us a little bit about what that was like in terms of your, your the work you put in. Uh, are you drilling every week in that time period? And now, uh, and and maybe a couple of tips that you can share with players about, things that kind of changed your game, right? Where you went from like, I can hold my own. I'm pretty decent out there to, okay, now I can compete with the best players on the plat. Yeah. So there were, there were a lot of steps between where I started and, and where I'm playing now. Just, I, I mean, I started at a 3.5 level. Um, first tournament I played and I played, I got, I medaled, I got second in singles, but in the doubles didn't, didn't get a medal. So, um, I had a long ways to go from from where I started. I'd say once I started playing tournaments and really got interested in, in pursuing that, I started to drill a little bit more. And I also just started to play a little bit more. I was already playing a lot. I, even before I started playing tournaments, I was just playing recreationally for fun because I was having so much fun with it. But then once I started or decided that I want to, to play some more tournaments and see how good I can get, then you know, the, the practices, uh, and, and drill sessions became a little more, uh, focused and, you know, focused on specific things I was trying to get better at. And so really pouring a lot of time into just getting reps at shots that I needed to develop at, or be more consistent with drilling was, was the, the go-to play there. And then, um, from, from making it to like the four Oh to four, or really like four or five to five Oh, and then five Oh to, to pro jump it was playing against higher level players and getting tournament experience i would say those were the two biggest things that helped me grow my game and i played i went i've, I've traveled to wichita uh earlier on i haven't i haven't as much recently but but early on when i was kind of making that jump from five to pro I'd, I'd traveled to wichita a lot played with jay dba uh, matt and lucy um i stayed at uh, patrick smith's house and her sex there they've got a, you know a great group of players and, and pros there that I was able to practice with. And, uh, that was super helpful for sure. Just kind of seeing what that level was like, what shots worked, what shots didn't work at that level. And then, you know, taking what I learned from that, going back home and drilling, um, shots that I needed to work on or, or be better at. And so, yeah, it, it, it was, it was a long process, but I'd say, I'd say the two biggest things that helped were, uh, playing high level players and, and just doing a lot of drilling. Gotcha. Let me ask you, because uh, you may not remember this, but at one of the tournaments, I, I kind of chatted you for, for a minute and I told you, you, you're like, 
we I, I refer to you a lot in terms of my teaching because of the when you dink, you have a very compact, um, I would say simple, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean it in a in a as a compliment, a very simple dink technique. And so your dinks don't really break down. Uh, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Colin too. Like Colin has a similar kind of a, a very simple dink technique, but it works very well. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, just generally like the soft game? Because, you know, I think players out there, they see hard balls and they go, well, it's got to be hard. But when I see like you and JW play, when I see Colin and Ben play, the reason I think you all win is because you all are disciplined in the soft game. And then you have counterattacks too. I recognize that. But in terms of the soft game, um, can you talk a little about the soft game and how you think about it in terms of your your play? Yeah, so the the soft game obviously is super important. You see pros at the highest level dinking all the time, back and forth, um, and really it's just uh, for for like JW and myself. I'm sure for Ben and Colin, it's about having confidence in your ability to you know grind out a dink rally and and to be given the first good opportunity to attack, and so. Not necessarily like the first chance you get to attack is always the ball you want to attack. You got to be confident in your ability to set up a, to work the point to a spot where you get a good look, a good opportunity to attack and, and, and win the point. Um, to your comment on how my dinky motion is, is a little kind of more compact, a little simple. Um, that's definitely intentional. And it's because you need some, or, or in my opinion or my experience, you need something. Um, that's a little, that's easy to replicate, right? You don't want to take this big wide swing every time on your dink, just keep it simple, keep it compact. Um, something that's easy to replicate because consistency is, I think the biggest separator across, you know, teams and really all levels of pickleball, but even, even at the pro level, just consistency is, is a huge separator. It's why Ben and Colin have so much success. It's, you know, why all the top teams that are getting on the podium that's why they have a lot of success because they can they can execute shots more consistently than other teams um i wouldn't say that i wouldn't say that any any player on the tour i mean with maybe one or two exceptions has any shot that nobody else can hit right it's not like it's not like uh you know ben johns is, is out there hitting crazy insane shots that nobody else can do you know everybody has kind of the same shots that they can hit but the ones that can do it nine out of 10 times as opposed to eight out of 10 times are the ones that are having more success right now, I think. I love it, Dylan. I'm going to quote you to all, all of our students from here on out. I'm going to say, hey, don't listen to me. <laughs> listen to Dylan. Dylan knows what he's talking about. He's out there winning golds, uh, golds and silvers, golds and silvers week in and week out. So and congratulations, by the way, on the on the win uh, this last uh, this last week. The week before. Uh, Thank you. All right, let's talk a little bit about, let's pivot a little bit towards the the mental side of the game. Um, you know, and, and you're still a young man and you're still growing as a human being. As, as I would say I'm growing too. I'm a little older than you, but, you know, we're all growing. But you've you've obviously, you've come a long way in the sport of pickleball. And let's talk a little bit about how you approach the game uh, when, you know, I, I imagine there are situations out there when, whether it's another player or a fan or whatever, distractions occur uh, or potentially occur. How do you deal with that when you're playing at the at the highest level of pickleball in terms of staying focused on what's going on on the court? Yeah, so just in terms of like like uh, reactions from the crowds or, or or any interactions you might have with someone while you're playing, um, I would say I would say you know I don't I, thankfully I don't I don't notice it a whole lot. Like once I get in the match, I'm pretty focused, and you know I've had like some friends and, and family and even just some other fans come up to me after the match and are like, "Did you hear me cheering for you? Did you hear what I said?" Like like. I was trying to be loud. I'm like, I'm like, well, I appreciate that. Thank you for the support. But, but honestly, I was, 
I was locked in. I didn't even notice it. Um, and so, so for me, like once you step onto the court, it's just, it's just you, your partner, if you're playing doubles and the other team and, and that's all it is. And, and I'm, and I kind of try to have that tunnel vision. Like I'm focused on the game and, and, and that's it. It's like, nobody's even there watching. And that definitely has changed throughout the years I've been playing because when I first started, it was definitely a distraction, you know, having people standing there watching you play, even when I was like at the, you know, four five or five Oh level played in a, in a final and just having, you know, like 10 or 15 people watching the matches, like, okay, I, I kind of feel a little, a little more pressure now, um, with that many people watching. And, and, but, and so I'd say the biggest thing that helps me kind of overcome that or, or not be concerned about, you know, the distractions outside the court while I'm playing is just experience. Um, over the course of, you know, however many tournaments I've played now over the course of seven years, I've, um, it, it, it was a slow and gradual process, but eventually I got to a point where it's, it's doesn't bother me anymore. Like it used to, I used to get a little bit nervous, a little bit anxious when I was playing in front of a crowd, my first, you know, couple of pro tournaments and I was playing in, in front of a crowd, um, was a little nerve wracking, but, but now it's, 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 it's not a problem at all. And it's just because I've, I've done it so often that I don't, I don't really think anything of it anymore. Yeah, repetition is such a powerful tool in everything, including that part of the of the game. Talk to me a little bit, or talk to us a little bit about um, that. And perhaps it doesn't affect you, but I know sometimes it can affect players. When you know, when we first start out playing pickleball, we don't really have expectations of ourselves in terms of our performance, our results. And then at some point, we start getting expectations because we start winning in our groups. Obviously, for you, it's a little bit different because you're now you're playing where you're one of the top. You know three, four, five, however many you know, players in the world. And, and so, you know, talk to us a little bit about how you manage expectations now that, you know, it's not Dylan from three years ago or two years ago when if you won, it was great. If you didn't win, no big deal. Now, again, there's a little bit more eyes on you and things like that. How do you manage that part of the game? Uh, yeah, again, I think, I think just experience at, at having experience, uh, being in this position helps has helped a lot. Um, and yeah, to begin with, I, I love playing from an underdog position. Like if I'm not expected to win the match or I feel like I'm not the favorites going into a match, then usually that's when I play a little bit better. You're a little bit looser because it's like, what do you have to lose? Like if, you know, you lose this match, well, it was expected anyway. Um, so really in that situation, you have nothing to lose. You can kind of play loose and, and and really go for the win. And so those that's the situation I like being in the most, I'd say, is, is kind of the underdog position. But at the same time, once you have established yourself as a top five player and the expectations are there that, you know, you're expected to win, you're expected to make it, you know, to a certain round in the tournament, semifinals, finals, whatever. Um, then it should also give you a little bit more confidence because it's like, Hey, you know, I, people are recognizing that, that we're winning and making it to this, you know, round consistently. And, and that, you know, gives you a little bit of confidence too, just, just knowing that the expectations are higher and that people expect, more of you. So I think, I think that's, it's, it's helpful in that sense that, you know, I'm the better team. Like I should be winning. If, if I play, you know, good pickleball, like, like I've, like I have in the past or like, I, like I'm capable of, then I'm going to win this match, you know, eight or nine out of 10 times. And, and so having that confidence helps a little bit. Um, and then for the most part though, like when you're playing a team that you're expected to win against, just making sure that nothing, nothing changes in your game. Like just because, it doesn't matter who's on the other side than that, right? If it's a team you're, that's going to be tough, that m might beat you. If it's a team that you're supposed to win against, like in either situation, you're gonna you're gonna play the same way, and and you're gonna play the ball, right? You're not you're not gonna play 
your opponent. It's, it's, you know, um, sticking to your strengths, not necessarily being concerned with what the other side of the net's doing to, to some extent, like to some extent, obviously different teams have different strengths and weaknesses that you have to be, uh, that you have to be aware of. Um, but for the most part, it's just, it's just identifying what your strengths are and then making sure that you go out and play to those strengths and, and execute in every single match. Awesome. Yeah. I think sticking to the plan is so important. And we had the opportunity to speak with Colin, I think it was a couple of years ago now for our summit, he was on our summit and his biggest thing was discipline. He was like, you gotta, you know, you gotta stick to the, you gotta be disciplined, right? Whatever it is you're doing. And I would say, you know, watching you and JW kind of evolve as a team, cause I, I do watch you guys and I watch obviously Ben and Colin. And I would even say like, if you watch, you know, I was going to mention like, you know, Federico and Pablo, you know, they're, they're good athletes and have great hands and, but they, they didn't really start moving up until they start, got more disciplined and started saying, okay, we're going to grind with you guys want to grind. We'll grind too. And then, you know, that's when they've had the most success, I think, is that, that sticking to the plan kind of a thing. So that's, that's awesome. Let me ask you about the partner play, because that's, you know, obviously you, you and JW are, I think, you know, just an amazing team to watch your energy. So positive. Uh, you know, there's other players that are, who are good players, right? Objectively good pickleball players, <laughs> excuse me, but they they don't seem to have the same kind of rapport that you and and JW have. Uh, and frankly, you guys look like you're having a great time, which I think is amazing, right? To be able to to, to succeed that 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 way and play. Talk to us a little bit about like the partner energy and how you guys feed off of each other. And I'm going to ask you about paddle taps in a second, but let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So for, well, for one, I think it's super important to have a partner that, that you, that you can play a lot of tournaments with. I think if you look at all of the top teams right now, mixed doubles and, and, uh, gender doubles, that it's, it's teams that have had a lot of experience together. And the reason that that's helpful, at least for, in my experience playing with JW, cause of mixed doubles, I switch it around a lot, but in men's doubles with JW, um, you know, kind of ha- you're always on the same page. You know what the other one's going to do. You've done it so many times together. Um, each player kind of takes on a specific role so that the other player, the other teammate knows what the other player is going to do. Um, and then you kind of just develop a rhythm and, and, you know, you have certain plays and certain spots that you like to target on the court that the other, your partner is aware of. And so just kind of knowing what's going to happen, at least from your side of the net at all times is, is super helpful. And it really helps you get into a rhythm, know where to look for the ball. And it's just the little things like that, I think make a huge difference. Um, and I think it's also important to have for, um, playing with someone that you get along with and, and that you like as a person off the court on and off the court. Um, because then you want to, you know, you want to, you want to win for them as much as you want to win for yourself. And so that's just, that is important for establishing, you know, good chemistry, a good, a good connection with your, with your partner for, for JW and I, we like to try to keep it light on the court. I think, um, you know, it never hurts for, for us to like, they're in a timeout or something, you know, bring up something unrelated to the match that's going on, just something that we encountered off the court or something that we thought was funny and, and just trying to keep it light because it loosens you up a little bit. Um, kind of take some of that tension and, and, and pressure off of you. And then you can, you know, if, 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 if he, if I can get him to laugh or he can get me to laugh, that's always, that's always a good thing because it means we're loose. We're happy, you know, um, and we're going to go out there and, and, and have a good time and, and, and play our best pickleball in that situation. Um, and then, yeah, so I'd say, I'd say playing with a partner that you enjoy being around on and off the court and then just having consi- the consistency of playing with the same person for a lot of tournaments. I got to watch you and uh, JW play in the semifinals at nationals and JW's hair was amazing. I, I told Julie, his mom, I was like, that hair, if, if he can, 
And if you could do the same thing with your hair in the back where you can let it like bedhead in the back, that would look, you guys would come out with that beautiful <laughs> boy for hair in the back. It looks amazing. <laughs> I think it's the best hair in pickleball, I think. But anyway. Um, <laughs> and the other thing I wanted to mention is you, you guys don't seem to like, you see partners who like, you know, a player misses a shot and the other player either turns away or rolls her eyes or the shoulder slumping, all the things. Um, I've frankly never seen you guys do that. So talk to us a little bit about that, like the, how you feel. Obviously, you're going to miss shots, and obviously, JW's going to miss shots. I mean, there's no way around that. But I've never seen you guys get on each other over that kind of thing. And 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 without naming names, right? I mean, maybe talk about like how you felt playing, partner. again, no names. We don't need names. But you know, playing with a partner who doesn't support you like that, where you know that if somebody attacks you and you miss the 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 backhand counter punch it's not the end of the world you know you'll get another chance yeah i think it i think it i think it makes a little difference and again once you get you know to that to that highest level anything that makes a little difference you're you're definitely willing to do because it gives you a little bit of an edge and you're just trying to find all those little things that might separate you from the rest of the field and so this is i i'd, I'd consider one of those little things that you can do to to kind of help you and your partner out um jw and i like to like you said paddle tap pretty frequently. And, and it's just a form of positive reinforcement. Like, Hey, you know, you missed that shot, but it's okay. I want you to keep going for it. That, you know, that was the correct shot. Um, I'm with you on that. I'm ready for you to do that. So, so don't hesitate to do it, you know, in the next few points. Um, and so having that positive reinforcement, knowing that your partner's not going to get upset for you going for a shot and missing, it, I think is, is really helpful. Um, some players, it, some players respond differently though. Some players I would say don't need that positive reinforcement. They're kind of more independently motivated, I guess you could say. And, and regardless if they, you know, make or miss a shot or if their partner gives them an eye roll or, or gives them a paddle tap, like whatever the outcome, they're, they're going to keep, you know, doing whatever they think is going to give them the best shot of winning. Um, other players definitely kind of feed off their partner's energy. And when they see their partner get down, I would say, I would say everybody to some extent, when they see their partner get down, kind of brings energy of the team down. A little bit and when they see that their partner is up or, or they're not upset they're you know they're positive with you then it's going to bring the energy of the team up a little bit and and for some for some people that effect is greater than it is for others but i think in all cases um you know having positive energy on the court is super helpful and, and is one of those little things that will help separate you from the field i'm going to keep counting your paddle taps because i think i mentioned to you before we got on that i've counted three before a serve which again i applaud i think it's at the seven, it'd be amazing, but uh, I'm going to keep going. I'll let you know if I, if I if I see more than three, I'll let you know, hey, minute so-and-so. Um, I got one more, one more question before you. Then, well, uh, three more questions, but one question about the game, and then I want to ask you a little bit about your play, which Pat are using, and a little bit about um, uh, we have a, a, a friend in common in Kansas City, and we'll talk about that in a second. But um, I, I think I'd be remiss not to ask the question about you know facing tennis players um, perhaps versus playing non-tennis players, do you, is there anything different when you're playing, uh, whether it's a, an Arnold or a Stockstrude or somebody like that, or you're playing against like an AJ Kohler, who's a hockey background, is there anything different that you're noticing in terms of the tennis players coming in and what they're bringing to the sport and having to adapt to that type of play? Yeah, there are, there are differences. I'd say the differences are more subtle and doubles than they are singles, you know, in singles, a tennis player can, can come in a high level tennis player can come in and be competitive you know, and, and pro pickleball singles, uh, a little more easy, uh, more easily than, than you can coming from any other, like uh, high level sports background. Um, and so what the tennis players are doing a lot is there. And, and as the paddle technology is improving, you know, players are able to generate a lot more spin 
on the ball. And so to begin with, you know, a few years ago, you couldn't, you, you know, you couldn't come in and hit the pickleball the same way you could hit a tennis ball because the pickleball didn't respond the same way that a tennis ball did to a tennis racket. Like you couldn't generate as much spin. Um, you couldn't, you know, couldn't get as much re, uh, reaction from the ball based off what you do to it, I think. Um, but now since the player or since the paddles have improved and, and the players are getting better, uh, players are able to kind of do that more Tennessee uh, swing with their paddle and, and, you know, still keep the ball in because before oftentimes it would go out, it was hard to control, but, but players, Connor Garnett's a really good example of someone that's coming in and, and getting a lot of spin on all of his shots. And he's got a two-handed backhand. A lot of the tennis players that are coming in, you know, will take their two-handed backhand that they had with them from tennis and, and, and use it in pickleball for doubles too. Like they'll have the two-handed backhand counter, uh, you know, two-handed backhand drop. I think that's becoming a little more prevalent in the sport. I think players, that don't have a two-handed backhand or are trying to develop one right now um, just because there's some advantages in certain situations to having one. Um, and then for, and, and doubles for the most part, you know, everybody's everybody's technique is a little bit different just because, you know, maybe they came from tennis. I'd say you could definitely notice the difference between the technique of a tennis player versus a non-tennis player. Um, but even tennis players uh, have differences in, in techniques that, you know, were different in tennis too. And so I think at the doubles, everything is a little more similar just because, you know, you eliminate that big backswing that you have in, that you have in tennis. And, and obviously a lot of, a lot of the play is at the kitchen line. So you really have to shorten everything up and make everything a little more compact. And so the technique is different, but everybody, I think once they get to the kitchen line is trying to do the same thing, which is kind of generate or develop a shorter compact stroke with their, with their paddle to keep it, you know, simple, easy to replicate. Um, so that they're more consistent. And then once you start, the you know, the firefights, the, the quick exchanges at the net, then I think everybody is, is fairly similar. Um, I know, I know AJ Kohler, who you mentioned has a hockey background. He kind of has a unique counter because he can get the paddle head straight up like here and just kind of slap it down like that. And that's something I think a lot of tennis players don't have just cause that's a little bit foreign to them. That's not a motion that they had to do in tennis a whole lot. Um, I'm kind of similar in that sense. I don't do it quite as, as extreme as AJ, but, um, close and similar in that regard. And so there, there are some subtle differences once you get up to the, to the kitchen line, but for the most part, everybody's trying to do the same thing. And so, uh, it might look a little bit different, but the ball that's coming to you is the, is the same off anybody's battle. It sounds like strategically at a fundamental level in doubles, the game is pretty similar, you know, maybe the tennis players have a different looking drive on the third or something like that. But other than that, I mean, once you get into the meat of the matter, it's, it's the strokes will feel different, but fundamentally we're playing a similar game, which is right. great for non-tennis players out there. They can, you can know that you can play a really good pickleball game without ever developing a tennis stroke as part of your pickleball. Let me ask you, uh, uh I know you're playing with a Selkirk paddle, right? And, yeah. um, which paddle are you using and why do you like it? Yeah, I, so right now I'm using the the O2 paddle from Selkirk. I think Selkirk makes a lot of a lot of great paddles, and and they're super, you know, one of the innovators in our sport. I'd say in terms of paddle technology, they're always working on something new, trying to come out with a new paddle, release a new paddle series. Um, so they're keeping up with the paddle technology, which is something that I appreciate for sure. Right now, the paddle that they have out there that I like the best is the O2 paddle, and I was going back and forth between the power air paddle and the, and the O2. And, and just recently, I think I've decided that I'm going to stick with the O2 paddle it has a little more power 
Um, it's a little bit thicker, so so it's a little bit easier to control on, on dinks and and resets and drops. I think um, the power air paddle was was nice though. It's a little bit thinner. It's a little more maneuverable in the air, so you can you can do a little more wristy shots with it, which are higher risk. But but at the same time, like if you can add something new or unique to your to your arsenal, that's helpful to use every once in a while. So I like the power air for that reason. I think I might stick with the power air for singles as well, just because for me, my ground stroke is a little bit better with that paddle than the, than the O2. Um, but yeah, Selkirk, Selkirk, uh, has lots of great paddles out there. I think the O2 and their, and their power air personally are my favorites. And I think they're, they're best ones that they have. I'm going to have to try out the O2 cause I'm playing with the power air, but you sold me on the O2. I'm going to, I'm going to give me one of them and check it out. Um, yeah. and then the last thing I wanted to touch basically on is I know you're in Missouri. I know you're, you're, uh, you're, you're a senior at Mercy Missouri from, from, uh, from what I've been told. So congratulations on continuing the work, but we have a friend that started in Missouri, the good folks at chicken and pickle. And, and uh, we had the opportunity, uh, uh, the better pickleball team. We were in Dallas. We had the opportunity to check it out and play a little pickleball and get some, the, the, the food is amazing. The food is, the pickleball is great, but the food is phenomenal. Uh, and so, uh, my understanding is that folks might see you where sometimes, but where, yeah, so at the downtown North Kansas City location, Chicken and Pickle, I'm there every once in a while. Or actually, more recently than that, I was actually at the Overland Park location in Kansas City. So I'll go up there and do some events there, or, or um, you know, maybe just practice every once in a while. Um, yeah, Dave Johnson, the owner of Chicken and Pickle, is also a Mizzou graduate, so we kind of had that connection. That's how we initially got connected. But yes, I, I agree with you that the food at Chicken and Pickle is amazing. Uh, if you're going to eat there, I highly recommend the pickled chicken sandwich. I get it every time. Um, and then obviously they've got pickleball courts there that you can enjoy while you're there. The only, the only thing I'm going to, I'm going to have to reach out to the folks chicken pickle. They got to call it the Dylan Frazier, you know, pickled chicken sandwich or something. Right. I mean, yeah. And I'm looking all the Selkirk, the Selkirk Dylan Frazier paddle. I'm going to reach out to, you know, Mike and them and say, Hey, where's, where, where's the Dylan Frazier paddle? So I give me one of them. So awesome. No, and it was a pleasure chatting with you. Really appreciate, uh, love the way you uh, carry yourself in the sport. Not just the way you play, you're an amazing player, but just, you know, you're such a positive influence for the sport and I love what you're doing out there playing pickleball. Anytime you want to be on the podcast, you let us know and good luck with uh, the remainder of your college year and, and everything else on the tour. I'll be looking out for you. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on, Tony. It was a pleasure to interview Dylan uh, for this podcast. Uh, you know, his perspective, even though he's a, he's a young man, you know, moving from 3.5 up to a top row player gives a player a unique perspective in terms of uh, how they relate to the sport and how he approaches the sport and also the decision making, right? The types of shots that he thinks are important or knows are important given the way that he plays pickleball. As I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, and I'll repeat it here, is uh, if you want to try one of the self paddles that uh, you heard Dylan and I chatting about, there'll be a link in the show notes as well as a code that you can use at checkout. Uh, and if you haven't heard our podcast before, check out episode 162 again. It's uh, published on October 20th. It has to do with a bowl of ice cream. I think you'll find it super helpful to you and your journey. And lastly, if you're hearing this before the holidays, we have our holiday gift guide. I'll put a link down in the description below. You can check that out there. I hope you enjoyed the interview with uh, Dylan Frazier. And again, thank you, Dylan, for coming on to the Pickleball Therapy Podcast. And I'll see you in our next podcast. <laughs>